So running to win. For about 10 years of my life, uh, I was a competitive swimmer. And uh, might not look like it now, but uh, <laughs> that was my main sport in school. And basically, uh, I would train from May all the way through to the end of the year till the following year, March, every year, and have April off. And I would train five days a week, uh, a couple of hours every single day. And I uh, did that for about 10 years of my life. And uh, I actually went to the, the Olympic trials, believe it or not. Didn't make the team. I didn't get the cutoff, but I was pretty happy with where I got to and the level that I got to. And, uh, but I, when I look back on my life, I can just think of waking up, having breakfast, going to training, training three hours in the pool, swimming about six k's, uh, coming home. This is in the, in the school holidays. Uh, December holidays, coming home, relaxing, having lunch, then going back to training in the afternoon, doing another three hours of training, and then coming home, having dinner, and then falling into bed exhausted. And that was sometimes five, sometimes six days a week, every single day. Come rain or shine, only if it was lightning we didn't swim, but if it was hailing small hail, we'd swim. And uh, it doesn't matter how cold the pool was, but uh, so when I look at the Olympic Games and even the tennis and things like that, I can really appreciate the level of sacrifice and the level of dedication those athletes have put in to get to where they are. Uh, it doesn't just happen overnight. And in, in fact, some people for the Olympics, they are training for years to get to that one point in their life where they can just even compete in the Olympics, let alone win a medal. Just to get there, some of them have worked 10, 15 years of preparation in order to get to that place. And they've made many, many sacrifices in, in their life. There are many things that an elite athlete just cannot do in their life, that normal people get to enjoy, that elite athletes don't get to enjoy. They don't eat whatever they want. They don't spend their time however they want. They don't get to hang out with friends whenever they want. They don't even get to take holidays whenever they want. Because like in, in, in my world of swimming, you, you start your training in May, you go all the way through to March the next year. Your aim is March. You started in May and you are training for one race in March. That's it. And you know that if you don't train, your rival is training down the road, that person is there five days a week and maybe he's doing six and a half Ks every day and you're only doing six. And you know that if you take a month off and you miss that month, you could be one hundredth of a second behind them and they win. And it's a, swimming is a, is a matter of milliseconds, not just seconds. If, you, if you're a second off, you're kind of like a whole body length behind, which is miles but it comes down to fractions of a second. But even to gain a couple of hundredths of a second improvement in time can take you an entire year of training just to shave off a little bit of time like that. That's the level of training that's required to achieve on, a, on an elite athlete level. And it's the same thing in most sports, you know. Uh, tennis, uh, all the Olympic sports, 
even the guys that do Formula One, you think it's just driving a car around a track. Those guys, they are training in, in gyms. They have to strengthen their neck because of the G-forces and the helmet knocking them around. If they don't, they'll end up with a broken neck. And uh, they are training all year round for those races. So, yeah, it's uh, and the thing is, is that it's not that these other activities are wrong. It's just that if you want to win the prize, you can't do them. That's the thing. An athlete, if they want to win a prize, they have to make sacrifices. And Paul mentions this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In fact, Paul spent a lot of his time earning his living making tents. And when he was in Corinth, there is uh, just kind of east of Corinth, on the little land bridge that connects uh, kind of where Corinth is to the rest of Greece. It's a thin, narrow strip of land. They used to do what's called the Isthmian Games, which were kind of like a secondary game to the Olympics. They were held every second year. The Olympics was held every four years. And uh, so what would happen is a whole lot of these athletes would come down and they'd need to stay somewhere. So guess who makes temporary accommodation? Paul. He makes tents. So he would have hung around with these people and maybe had a chat to them and just seen what their lives were like. And so he writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 23 to 27. And this is what we're going to look at today. Paul says, I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessings. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. One of the unique things about the Isthmian Games was boxing was one of the sports they did there. So he's obviously looking at these guys training, shadow boxing, and using that as an illustration. But he says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So when it comes to sharing the gospel and living a life of seeing the kingdom advanced, Paul makes a few points. And he, we're going to have a look at these things. He says, run to win. Run with purpose and be disciplined. He says there's actually a prize to win. It's not just run for no reason. And he also says it's possible to be disqualified. And so I want to have a look at these, uh, these four points this morning. In, uh, in the Olympic Games or the Isthmian Games or any of these kind of games back then in Paul's day, you had to be a Greek citizen to participate. You couldn't just rock up there and say, well, I'm the best runner in Italy and I'd like to participate. Sorry, you don't get in. Only Greek citizens were allowed back in that day. Nowadays, all countries are allowed in the Olympics, but back then it was you had to be a Greek citizen. And in our context, you have to be a child of God in order to participate in running this race that Paul is talking about. 2 Corinthians, in the next letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 5 and verse 17 to 20, it says, Paul says this, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. 
And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. Every single one of us here has been given the task of reconciling other people to God. Okay? And He says, uh, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors, and God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So when we are encouraging people, come back to God, we're giving them the message that will reconcile them to God. That's the gospel. That's being an ambassador for Christ. We've become a totally new person, and that old life we used to live has gone, and now we have a new life in Christ. And not only that, with this new life comes the privilege of reconciling people to God. And that's what Paul is talking about here in chapter 9. This is the race. It's the race of reconciliation. <laughs> Amen? We have this wonderful privilege, and it's an exciting job. You know, leading people to the Lord is probably the most exciting thing that I think anyone can ever do. There, there is such a joy, such an excitement, such a passion. Uh, when, you, when you're witnessing to somebody and they're receiving Jesus, it's something amazing happens in our life. And you think, man, I just want to go out there and do it again. And again and again and again and again. It's, it's addictive. It really is. And if you've ever led someone to the Lord, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and it's a wonderful privilege that this is the task that God has given us. He hasn't given us a boring and a tedious task. Some, some of us have work to do that is boring and tedious. And the thought of going to work on Tuesday next week is like, oh man, <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that. But the job that God has given us is something that we can go, man, I'm excited to do this job. It's something that's wonderful. Something you want to get out of bed and do. When you, and Paul, Paul likens this task to an athlete. And he says, back in the day, only Greeks could participate. Now, only born-again believers can participate in this ministry, this task of reconciling people to God. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says this amazing statement. You and I, we are God's masterpiece. And He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? Why are we made anew? So that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. So that we can walk in good works. In other words, until you've been born again, you can't walk in good works. An unbeliever cannot do good works. They can do other works, but not what God has called them to do. They cannot reconcile people to God. You can only reconcile people to God when you yourself have been reconciled first. So we are reconciled reconcilers. That's pretty much what we are. Anyway, let's get into these points then. First point is this. Paul says this. He says, 
Run to win. Okay, that's the first point. We're not running this race against other Christians. Important to know that. When Paul says run to win, don't look around you and think, I've got to beat everyone else in this room. Each of us are running our own individual race, and we have our own track, our own lane to run in. And it's not a competition with I led 10 people to Christ, you led, you led nine, therefore I win the prize. It's not about that. It's about running in our own track, but running with the attitude of I want to win. I want to win that prize that Jesus has for me. In other words, put your best effort into doing this task. Paul says he does everything he can to share the good news. He tries to be as relevant to people as he can. He tries not to live in a way that will cause him to, uh, to be disqualified or cause him to lose the witness that he has. So he does everything. To the Jews, he becomes a Jew. To the Gentiles, he becomes a Jew. Why? So that he can win people to Jesus. He's running to win. Running to win is an attitude. It's an attitude of our hearts. It's an attitude of excellence towards the Lord. There would have been times that Paul had to make a tent or two. And he couldn't practically be out there sharing the gospel 24 hours a day. So he's not talking about going nuts here and quitting your job and just... I'm just going to get out there and witness every single minute of every single day. Paul would have had to do other things. I mean, he wrote the book we're reading. So obviously, while he was writing the letter to Corinthians, he wasn't out there evangelizing. <laughs> okay, But it's, it's a heart attitude. It's about... My, I, I, I desire to see the gospel go out there. I desire to see people saved. I do, I, if there's an opportunity, I share the gospel. If someone asks me a question, I don't say, go see the pastor. Go look online. No, I want to share that, that wonderful message with, the, with these people. Running to win begins in the heart. And it outworks itself in action. When there's a heart to run for God, it's outworked in action. When Paul spent time praying, I, I believe he prayed into this. He didn't just pray for his own needs. He prayed, God, reach the people of Corinth. Let the kingdom of God come. And, and do we pray that? Are we praying, God, let your kingdom come in Melbourne? Let your kingdom come in my, in my street, in my neighborhood. That's running to win, is having a heart to say, God, I want to see people come to know you. I want to see the kingdom of God advance. And I believe that this is something that God is stirring up in our hearts, even this morning, but in a wider sense. There is, there is a stirring. God is, there's, there's something of the kingdom of God moving in our midst. And God is saying, I'm stirring something up here because there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who don't know me, who are living in darkness, who don't know their right from their left. They have all sorts of problems. They have no hope. Everybody's all like, whoa, you know, there's a, there's a possible new cure for cancer. Let's all hope that that happens. But our hope is in Christ. The world are clutching at things. Every year there's something new. Scientists are trialing this, trialing that, but nothing ever materializes. And in the end, it's just no hope. But we have our hope in Christ. Amen? 
And that, that desire should be, we want all the world to have that. We want all the world to experience the wonderful joy that we've experienced, the wonderful relationship that we have with Christ. That's running to win. God is stirring up a fire within us as believers to see the gospel go uh, to the ends of the earth, but also into our city. The second thing that Paul said is he said, run with purpose and be disciplined. Paul says, I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. Have you ever seen a, a runner that didn't understand the purpose of the race? I remember many years ago, um, Jen and I were at a school athletics carnival thing. And uh, Jordan was about four years old, and he was in a race. And he had this little steering wheel with a pole and a wheel on the end, right? All the kids had these things. It was an oval track. And anyway, off they go. These eight kids running with their little steering wheels. They get to the corner, and instead of turning, Jordan just keeps going straight. <laughs> and he, he winds his way behind all the parents, and he's just running around on the field somewhere. Jen and I are running after him, trying to call him, get back on track. And he took ages to eventually wind his way around behind the parents and then cut in on the finish line. But he totally went like, of course. <laughs> and I think many Christians are like this. We start off running straight and we start off running in the track, but down the line, something gets confused we lose the purpose of why we're actually running and we end up running off track and we end up running aimlessly all over and if we don't run with purpose, we won't win the prize. You have to have purpose. You have to go, there's a start line, there's a finish line and there's a track to run in. If you run out your track, you get disqualified. That's how it works. And, and, and Paul is saying, I run with purpose in every step. He understood what he had to do, and he understood what needed to happen. Just think, how many Christians do you know who hear the gospel, get saved, and then never share that with anyone else? We receive that life-changing message, and then do nothing with it. That's losing the plot. That's not understanding. How are others going to get saved if they don't hear the message? That's like me receiving uh, a, a, a remedy for some sickness. I get it, but I never share it with anyone else. Praise God, I'm healed. The rest of you have to figure it out for yourself. They've got to hear the message. It's The power is in the message. And if we've received that message, we've received life-changing power. How can we keep it to ourselves? We run off track. We lose the purpose of God. Jesus, the Son of God, humbled himself, came to earth as a human, took our sins upon himself and died for those sins. He paid the full price for every single one of us by dying on that cross. And after dying, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. He only needed it for a short time. And then he was raised from the dead. 
He literally died. The Son of God died. He actually died. Can you believe that? Not like he went into some kind of funny sleep state or something. He died. He was cut off from the Father and rose again, and now he's alive and well. And when we share the gospel, it's not, hey, this is how you can be saved and join our church. This is how you can be saved and meet Jesus. I can introduce you to a living, breathing person, Jesus. Not just a religion, a person. That's the gospel message. Jesus came to save the world from the penalty of their sins, which is death, eternal death. So some Christians have forgotten the, the power of the message. And other Christians have run off course because they've changed the message. And running down the line, suddenly you hear a whole lot of different thoughts and that, and you start adjusting your doctrine and your thinking. And you start thinking, well, maybe this isn't the only way. Maybe Jesus wasn't the Son of God. Maybe, maybe there are other ways into heaven. And we wander off the path. There are many people today who, who don't believe in hell. They don't believe in the lake of fire, even though it's mentioned many times in the Bible. Oh, no. We were running down that way, but now we've abandoned that thought because we've heard a few different ideas. They don't believe that people will spend an eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. That's what the Bible teaches. And let me just say, don't be offended with me. If you're offended with me, get offended with Jesus. He said it, not me. I'm just repeating what he said. Matthew 25, verse 41. Matthew 25, 41. Jesus is speaking and he says, Then the king will turn to those on the left and he will say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire. Not the temporary fire. Eternal fire. Prepared for the devil and his demons. Mark 9, verse 42. Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Some, uh, man, I might not have the, oh, there's a couple of verses here. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter eternal life with only one hand, and go into the unquenchable fires of hell. Now, if you learned English, you know what unquenchable means. It cannot be extinguished, ever. Unquenchable fires of hell. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye and to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell where maggots, where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. In fact, that last line is repeated three times, but most Bibles don't put it in because it's just too full on and the translators are like, how... Why emphasize the maggots never die and the fire never goes out? The maggots never die. The fire never goes out. Jesus is saying the maggots never die and the fire never goes out, ever. 
If he says it three times, it's like we should be paying attention. <laughs> it's not temporary. It's forever. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 and 15. Then the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. And guess what? They were thrown in there a thousand years earlier. They've been there for a thousand years, and now the devil gets thrown in with them. They're still there. It's not where the, where the beast and the false prophet were, where the beast and the false prophet are. <laughs> and there, there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Who else? Verse 15. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That's not my words. <laughs> I'm not trying to win a popularity contest here. I just want to tell you the truth. We, we are deviating off the path if we say, oh, we don't believe in hell. Jesus believes in it. Jesus taught it. How can we point to him and say, gee, God, I, I don't think you've made a good decision here. How can you send people to an eternity separated from you? How, how can you punish people for eternity? It's righteous judgment. When God judges, he does it righteously. No one will ever be able to point a finger and say, you were wrong to do that, Lord. No one will. <laughs> if he's doing it, it's righteous. It's wisdom. It's perfect. All his ways are perfect. If we lose sight of these truths, we'll wander off track. And we'll start to think, well, why bother to run to win? As long as I kind of get near the finish line some stage, it's okay. Why bother? Because people's destinies are, are, are determined by this. Your family, your friends, your neighbors, where are they going to end up? None of us know the day that we're going to die. We don't know how much time we've got. So let's share. Let's speak about this because you never know. Someone could say, hey, thank you. Thank you that you shared with me. These Christians in the book of Acts were persecuted and they were martyred for their faith. They allowed themselves to be thrown to the lions, their children to be thrown to the lions. Why? Do you think it's because, oh, they kind of just had a, kind of like, oh, it's all about, you know, Jesus loves everybody, so I don't mind being thrown to the line. They were convinced that this is, this is a message of that much importance. It's either eternal life or eternal death, and there is no ways I'm denying Jesus and losing my inheritance. So I'm happily go to the lions, and I'll happily get persecuted. That's, why, that's what they understood back there. Otherwise, why would they have done it? But today, we have Christians wandering from the truth of the Bible. Get offended with someone and leave the church. Back in this day, you left the church, you were in trouble. That was like they had to be in church. They had to be a part of what was going on. It was critical. Today, we think very lightly about losing our faith and turning to another religion. What's happened? It's the result of a lopsided view of God. Romans 11 verse 22. Romans 11 and verse 22. It says, Notice how God is both kind 
and severe. He is severe towards those who disobeyed, but he is kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you will also be cut off. Wow. <laughs> you don't hear that being preached often, eh? Talk. God is a God of love. He loves me no matter what. He does, but he will cut you off. Run with purpose. Understand the truth. Understand what's at stake. See, if we understand the truth of the Bible, we're going to run with zeal, with passion. We're going to run to win because it matters. The message matters. When we pray for the lost, there will be a fervency and urgency when we pray. Because it's desperate times. Sometimes when I've prayed, it's like the Spirit of God comes on me and you start travailing like a woman in labor. The other day, it was like I'd spent some time praying. I came out of that absolutely exhausted. And I said to Jen, I don't think I've ever worked a harder day in my life. I'm finished from praying. There isn't a harder work you can do because it's a spiritual battle, wrestling praying over the destiny of people's souls, eternal destiny. It matters. Then Paul said, there is a prize to win. Paul said, they do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Back then, they got a prize which was like a, a headband wreath thing made of celery, believe it or not. And the thing probably lasted a couple of weeks and done. There you are, you put all that effort in, for a bunch of celery. I would never have done it back in those days. But now we run for a prize that will never fade, ever. It's worth it, not just to rescue people, but it's worth it because there's a wonderful prize in heaven. One day we're going to get to heaven, and not only is Jesus going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, and give us the crown of righteousness, but imagine this. Imagine a line of people as you get into heaven that have gone there before you who you have witnessed to and led to the Lord and you go down that line. Thank you. And they're saying, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being courageous. Thank you for being bold. Thank you that you took a risk. You stepped out. Thank you that you got persecuted because I went away and I thought about it and I gave my life to Jesus and praise God I'm here in heaven. All because of you. What a reward. That's worth it. We don't run the race in order to get to heaven. We're already in. We run the race for reward. We run the race because we're saved. Paul sacrificed immediate pleasures for eternal rewards. So I might not be an elite athlete anymore. And I know I'm not. <laughs> But I'm a spiritual athlete. I, I discipline myself spiritually, and I'm running a spiritual race to win. I want to win that prize. And every single one of us can be that. We can all be elite spiritual athletes. And we're going to get, even, even now, the Olympians are getting a gold medal. That medal won't last forever, believe it or not. Give it a million years, and that thing will be dust. But we are getting an eternal reward that moth and rust cannot destroy. It will always be there. A million, trillion, billion years from now, your reward will still be there. You will have it in heaven. That's what motivated Paul. That's what kept him going. 
I want to just, no, nah, I'm going to leave it. I'll leave that out. I'll go to number four. I'm running out of time. The last thing is that just, just take down this verse. Well, not verse, chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Go and read it for yourself and see why Paul did what he did. The hardships he went through for what? An eternal reward. He fixed his eyes on what wasn't seen. 2 Corinthians 4. I was going to read the whole chapter, but there's no time. The last and final point is this. Number four, it is possible to be disqualified. Wow. I don't know if you're supposed to end a sermon on a good note or not, but anyway, I'm just following Paul's example. He says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. It is a privilege to share the message with other people, but we have to watch over our own lives as well so that we don't disqualify ourselves. It's always such a tragedy when you see people, both men and women, who have served God passionately, who have counted for the kingdom, who have seen thousands and millions of lives changed only to fall morally or something and end up being disqualified. And they can, yes, they're saved. Yes, they're going to go to heaven. But can you imagine the frustration of, of having to live out the rest of your days not being able to preach the gospel because you've disqualified yourself. You know the joy. You know the privilege. You know the wondrous thing it is to be Christ's ambassador, but you can't because you've wiped out. You didn't watch over your life. You focused on everything else except yourself. And suddenly now the wheels have all fallen off and it's a disaster. And some people have to finish their lives like that. What a tragedy. What frustration. Just like the modern athlete has to watch their private life closely. They can't just do anything. They have to watch. You look at cycling today. Man, those guys need a team of people to make sure that the chef made the right food and didn't put something in. That every, every bottle of supplements and stuff they're having is all legal because suddenly someone does a blood test and, oh, you've got this in your veins. You're out. And the guy's like, I, I didn't even do it. I don't know. The chef did it. Or I don't know. Well, what they have, they have all these reasons. But I think sometimes, who knows? Maybe they are innocent. And something happened. Something slipped through. And now they're disqualified. We have to watch over our lives closely as believers. Although God is a forgiving God, sin does have consequences. If you murder someone, God will forgive you. But that person's dead. They're not going to be raised again from the dead. That consequence of that sin doesn't get reversed. God forgives you. Yes, he forgave Paul for murdering all those Christians, but they were all dead. All their lives, purpose, and that was cut short because of Paul. You've got to live with that. Paul says he watches over his own life. He disciplines his body to do what it should. He doesn't let his physical appetites get out of control. It's often the little things that we neglect that actually cause major problems in our lives. And so I just want to say, watch over your marriages. Watch over the gates in your life. 
your eyes, your ears, and your mouth. There are three gates. Three gates. <laughs> what are you letting in through your eyes? What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you looking at? The, Bi the Bible says your eyes are the window to your soul. What are you letting in? Light or dark? What are you pouring into your soul? Watch over your eyes. Your ears. What are you listening to? Who are you listening to? The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing. But man, there are a lot of voices out there in the world. There's a, faith doesn't come by listening to the news. <laughs> Maybe you listen to the news. I'm not saying don't. Go for it. But make sure that's not all you're listening to because your faith is just going to go ooh, flushed away. If you want faith, listen to God. Cut out. Watch the gate. Don't let these things flap and let anything in. Watch over the gate of your ears. Watch. What about your mouth? What kind of language comes out of your mouth? The Bible says that your tongue is like the rudder on a ship. So in other words, if a ship wants to turn and go this way, what do you have to do? You just turn the rudder. If your life is going and suddenly you're turning this way and going this way and wondering, why am I going that way? Guess what? Your rudder turned you. Your mouth, what you say, is going to steer the direction of your life. That's what the Bible says. It says, be careful. Your tongue is powerful. It has the power of life and death. You can steer yourself into a disaster or steer yourself towards God. Get up and praise God every morning. Thank Him for His goodness. Or get up and go, oh, why am I up? You know, man, it's going to be a hard day. You say it's going to be a hard day. It's going to be a hard day. Because your rudder has steered you in that direction. Watch over the gate of your mouth. Paul says, I discipline my body like an athlete. Training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Watch over your life. Train your body. The, the Bible says that, that physical training has some value, but training in godliness has eternal value. That's worth it. Let's, let's train ourselves. Let's, and let's, I'm not talking about earning our salvation. I'm talking about once you're saved, train yourself to walk in the ways of God. Let the Holy Spirit come and teach you. Let Him be your guide. Let Him be your personal trainer, if you want to use that analogy, and, and, and walk in the ways of God so that we can stay on track and receive that wonderful prize when we get to heaven. So as, just in conclusion, as believers, we all have a race to run. Run with purpose. Understand that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. And that, that doesn't mean you, you need to be a theologian or something like that. Don't disqualify yourself. Jesus qualifies you. The minute you're saved, you have that ministry. You can just share what happened to you. That's as simple as it is. You don't need to know what scriptures and how to share and what to share and what order. Just talk about your relationship with Jesus. That's all you have to do. So we discipline ourselves in order to receive 
that eternal reward, the crown of righteousness that Jesus will hand over to us when we get to heaven. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's stand. We're going to pray.